Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. All right, we're going to have our Bible ready now. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, we're looking at James 2 today. And uh, we'll read through that passage now. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. You have not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Sorry, have you not discriminated? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Thanks, Adam. Good morning, everybody. Uh, If we haven't met, it's probably because I sit over there and you sit over there. So hello, everybody on the other side of the church. Hello. Uh, My name's Graham. Uh, The rest of the week, I I spend my time uh, encouraging ordinary people to take calculated risks in strange places for Jesus. It's a great job. I have the best job in the world. Ordinary people, calculated risks, strange places for Jesus. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that as we go on. Uh, Today, we are going to answer one of the great questions of our time. I think probably you've thought of this question before. It might have been keeping you up at night, wondering, 
about the answer to this question. Maybe in your MCG you've had a bit of tense uh, conversation about it. Maybe you've Googled it to find out if anybody knows the answer to this great question of our time. The question is, can a dead parrot squawk? Oh, yes. See the reaction of the crowd? Finally, the answer to that question, can a dead parrot squawk, will be revealed to us this morning. You've been waiting for this, haven't you? You've been looking forward to it during the week. You'll be talking about it after you go home. You, of all people, will let us know, can a dead parrot squawk? We're going to do that from the book of James, specifically from James chapter 2, where he starts off talking about favouritism. And as believers in the Lord Jesus, uh, we are not to show favouritism. He uses the example, perhaps it was something that was common in his uh, little church, of of a rich person coming in and getting a good seat and a poor person kind of being kept up the back. Uh, It's kind of hard for us to imagine anybody doing that today, isn't it? We've got plenty of seats, especially on a public holiday long weekend. There's always plenty of seats. So we're not too fussy about that. Uh, We might not relate to that. But it's really easy to fall into the trap of thinking that people who write big checks deserve big voices. Of people who we think are going to benefit us, uh, we, we favour them in some way. It's really easy to do. Uh, I was part of a church once, we were talking about buying something. It was a big expensive thing. Uh, what the thing is doesn't matter. What matters is how the decision was made. Because the discussion at the church meeting about this big expensive thing, uh, different people had different ideas as they usually do. Uh, some people were really, really good. They thought it would be really good to have the big expensive thing. It would really help our Sunday morning times. And other people, well, some people didn't like it because it was an expensive thing. And other people thought, well, well, part of our church, that particular congregation, they had those big housing commission blocks uh, right nearby. You know, the ones you see in the middle of the city in Melbourne. And if we had this big expensive thing, actually to put people like that off, they'd walk in and see it and think, oh, you know I guess these people are not like me. You know? And so the discussion went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards as these things do. And eventually decided, was decided we wouldn't buy the big expensive thing because it was expensive and it would put people off. Well, next week we turned up to church and lo and behold, there's a big expensive thing right in the middle. And we said, why is it there? Well, one of the wealthy people in church bought it. They just paid for it. And so it's there. So the church as a whole, we decided no... But then a wealthy person who had a deep checkbook said yes, and so it was done. And that's a church, just like any other church, just a normal church. But it's so easy to do that, isn't it? To let some people get maybe not a better seat because they're rich, but they get a better say because they have the ways to get done what they want. It's really, really easy to show favouritism to people. Uh, Maybe it's about money, maybe it's about the way people look. We look at people and perhaps even unconsciously we think, there's somebody like me, there's somebody who I've got something in common with, maybe they look like me or they sound like me or they, 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 they might have, they, we have something in common, so I'll talk to them. And there's somebody who, well, actually they don't look much like me and maybe they're a bit hard to understand and I, I don't think I'll talk to them because it's, it's just a little bit hard. I'll go and hang out with the people who are my friends, who are like me. So we might not favour somebody with a better seat or a better say, but we might favour some people with our time and with our attention because even subconsciously we think, oh, you know, they look like me. We've probably got something in common, whereas 
those people, they look a bit different and so it might be a bit hard to talk to them. So I'll let somebody else do that. I'll hang out with the people I like who look like me. And James says that's a big mistake to look at somebody and to make a judgment about them based on how they look and what we'll get out of that interaction, whether it's more money or a better conversation. When we do that, we actually set ourselves up as judges with evil thoughts. To think that way is actually evil. That's a pretty, it's a pretty strong way of putting it, really, isn't it? It's a pretty strong way of putting it. When we treat people according to how we think they deserve to be treated, when we favour those who we think will have something in it for us, whether it's more money or a better conversation or better friendship, then we're actually undoing what Jesus did. (laughs) He's our glorious Lord Jesus. He, He died to make us one. And if we spend our time dividing ourselves, we're actually working against what he did. I think that's, I find that in myself, it's really easy for me to just hang out with people I like and to talk to people who I think will be useful to me. I don't know about you, but I find that in myself. It's easier than I think. And in our society, in our culture, it's actually becoming more and more prominent, harder and harder to do. Um, I work with a a lady who's Malaysian and uh, she's not very tall. She's a very quiet lady. She works in accounts and strangely enough, her name is Pei. She works in accounts. I don't know if she got the job because of that, but anyway, she's good at what she does. So, So she was telling me just a couple of weeks ago how she'll go into a shop and she'll get in the queue and the, the person at the front will serve everybody up to her and then they'll serve the person after her and the person after her and the person after her until nobody's there. And then at the end, if she's the only one, she'll get served because she's not very tall and she obviously looks different to other people. And then actually when I was having that conversation, another guy, Matthew, was walking past and he's married to a, a, another lady who happens to be Malaysian. And he said the same thing happens to his wife all the time. She'll walk into a shop, wait to be served, nobody will serve her. He'll walk in and straight away somebody will come up to him and say, can I help you, sir? He says every time that happens, he's now got a really good 90-second speech he delivers to the person who did that. (laughs) They never make that mistake again, he reckons. He's he's Dutch and so he's pretty direct. (laughs) When he tells you something, you get told. And he feels pretty strongly about this. So this is, this is all around us all the time. It's actually getting worse in Australia. Not long ago, I was speaking to people who've, who came here years ago, 17 years ago. And they'll tell you how years ago, people were so friendly, so outgoing. They'd welcome them and say, where are you from? How would you get here? And now it's all filthy looks and snide comments and people don't want to stand near them. So actually, our society is showing more and more favouritism. It's becoming more and more divided. And I think, this is just me maybe thinking out loud, that as the election gets closer, there may be people who are going to play that card, the race card, and say, be afraid of these people. We're the only ones who can save you from those evil people who don't look like us. I think it might come out. I don't know. It may not. It may. But the point is, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we're not going to accept that. We're not going to play that game. We're not going to fall for that trick. Because he died to make us one, and we know that. And we know that whatever, however different we might look or sound, actually what we have in common in Christ is so much more than anything else. Than anything else. So don't get sucked into that. I want to show you a short video, actually. Uh, Sarah, you're right to, to run that. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm calling on every one of my fellow Kiwis to help support a very important cause. Racism needs your help to survive. You may not be in a position to give much to racism, but whatever you feel comfortable giving will make a huge difference. You don't have to be a full-on racist. Just being a tiny bit racist is enough. A smile, a cheeky giggle, even a simple nod in agreement. It all adds up and it gives others the message that it's okay. Frequently asked questions about racism. But I'm not a real racist. Can I still help? Of course. Even if you don't come from a racist background, that's okay. Being a bit racist is super easy. How do I spread the word? You don't actually have to talk people into it. Just be a bit racist and they'll feel the social pressure to follow along. My mum says being a bit racist is bad. Oh, shut up, mum. What's in it for me? Uh, nothing. There's no benefit whatsoever to being racist. But ask yourself, what if everyone stopped giving to racism? What kind of future would that be for our children? If I only give a little bit, will it even make a difference? Not to you, no. But to the people receiving the racism, they'll be getting hundreds of small bits every day, so it will add up. It will be noticed. How do I show my support? You might not want to wear a t-shirt that says how much of a racist you are. No thanks, I'm racist on the inside. But you can laugh at racist comments. It does the same thing. <laughs> Remember, the only thing that can keep racism alive and help it grow is feeding it, nurturing it. And that's where you come in. Will you help it flourish? What will you give to racism? That's a guy who directed, uh, he's a New Zealander, he directed uh, Hunt for the Wilder People in Thor. He's a funny guy. So what will you give? The answer is nothing. We will give nothing to that evil practice where we discriminate against our own brothers and sisters based on how we think they're going to help us and what we're going to get out of those interactions. Now, you might be thinking, well, it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, it's not really that bad, is it? It's not like I've committed adultery or I've committed murder. It's not, it's not up there like that, is it? Come on. What do you got? It's not that bad. Well, actually, James anticipates that thought. If you go down to, say, verse 8, he deals with it from there on. If you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And James is saying that, in a sense, all sins are the same. Uh, as to sin is to break the law and to put yourself in the category of lawbreaker. Uh, once the law is broken, it is broken, whether it is slightly broken or completely broken. Uh, all sin, in a sense, puts you in the category of lawbreaker. I want to illustrate that for you. I'm going to ask Liam to come up and help me. Uh, I want you to imagine that... Thank you, Liam. It's very kind. I'll give you Liam a hand as he comes up. Thank you, Liam. It's very brave of him to do that. There's going to be a loud noise. Spoiler alert, the balloons will not survive this illustration. Okay, sorry, just want to make that clear to you. So I'm going to imagine these balloons are the law. Now I have a balloon burster here. You can't see, I can hardly see it myself. It's a pin. Okay, so we're going to burst one of these balloons. Spoiler alert, the balloon will not survive. Okay, so this is a balloon breaker, isn't it? I have another balloon breaker here. This one. So this is also, is it not a balloon breaker? Are you right-handed or left-handed? Which, which hand would you prefer? <laughs> so, we'll see if it... 
This is also, it's not sharp by the way, it's got a little bit of a point. Thank you, Liam, thank you. <laughs> so which of these, I can't even find the other one now, I've dropped it. Which of these is a balloon breaker? They both are. And which of those balloons is now bro most broken? They both are. Okay, so we tell ourselves, we do it all the time, we tell ourselves, oh, it's not that bad. Really, come on, it's just a joke. Just having a bit of fun. But actually, from God's perspective, adultery, murder, favouritism, it's all law-breaking. It's all law-breaking. And when we do any of those things, we fall into the category of breaking the law. Sure, one might be more spectacular, one might get the front page, other one might not, but it's all law-breaking. And from God's perspective, it's all equally as serious. James goes on to talk about the making our faith into reality. So, so we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that, we treat everybody equally. We look after everybody. We respect everybody. And because of our faith, it comes out in actions like that. Uh, James goes on in, from verse 14 and so on. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? talks about putting faith into action. Don't just say, go in peace, be warm and well fed, do something about it, James says. Put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Have you ever had someone say, I'll be with you in spirit? It's kind of, kind of nice, but not always helpful. Uh, remember once after church, there was a, on Saturday night, there'd been a big storm in our, the town we were in, and we had a lady in church who lived on her own, and her fence had blown down on, on this big corner block, so uh, Sunday morning after church, a few of us were saying, oh, we better go around and fix up this fence today because it's right in, the, right in town and, you know, everybody's walking past and she's got no fence. So how about we go and sort out the fence this afternoon? So talking after church, talking, talking. And one bloke said, oh, I've got something on today, so I can't come, but I'll be with you in spirit. <laughs> and, and as he walked off, just when he was about three metres away, another guy said, well, we'll get your spirit to dig the post holes then, won't we? How about your spirit does that, eh? And off he wandered. He didn't hear it, of course. But, but it's true, isn't it? Go in peace, be warm and well fed. Well, I mean, it's nice to say that. It's, I guess it's a start, but it's not in itself going to feed anybody or clothe anybody or put up an old lady's broken fence. You have to actually do something with what you say. You have to put your faith into deeds. Uh, it's great that we've got the food van and uh, we all are pleased for that to happen but they're always looking for more volunteers. And all of us could go and help them with that. Uh, there's a type of faith which is all talk, actually. James goes on to say, and it's good talk, uh, verse 18 and 19. Uh, you believe there is one God? Good. You, you answer the questions in your MCG? Great. Uh, you, you pass the theology exam? Fantastic. You know, there is a type of faith which is all about words. But, but just have a look at how he describes it in verse 19. You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. So there is a type of faith which is all words and they might even be correct words and right words. But James describes that kind of faith as demonic. It's kind of the theological equivalent of swearing. Really, isn't it? You can't actually swear in the Bible, but you can call something demonic. It's right down there with the worst type of thing that you can imagine. And he uses that word to describe the type of faith, which is all words. 
even correct words, but never actually carries through on what it says. Even the devil can pass a theology exam. Hopefully he wouldn't graduate from Bible college altogether. He'd be picked up somewhere along the way as perhaps being an unsuitable candidate for ministry, but he could pass the theology exam, all right? You know, that bit wouldn't be hard. Don't have a faith like that because a faith like that is dead. It's dead. It's no use to anybody. There's no life in it. There's no action coming out of it. It's useless. James goes on to illustrate with two different people from the Old Testament. Uh, He talks about Abraham, uh, who's a bit of a legend in the Old Testament, in the middle of Genesis, the guy guy Abraham has introduced. Most of Genesis is actually his his family tree, more or less. And uh, he's the father of the nation. He's the big guy, you know. He's, he, by faith, he leaves his family uh, in what, will, what we call today Iraq and goes over to the promised land. Of, by, he's, a, he's a man of great faith. Uh, you can't have more faith than Abraham. But his faith was made perfect when he carried through on what God asked him to do. So in Genesis 22, you can read the story for yourself. It's a bit of a shocker. Uh, God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, which is a, a bit of an odd thing for us to him. Well, it's an extremely odd thing for us to think about, but perhaps in Abraham's time, not so odd, but still wrong. God asks Abraham to do this strange thing, and uh, Abraham says, Okay. Uh, Abraham in himself, the scriptures later on talk about how, how he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham actually followed God's commands, as strange though they may be, and got to the very point of raising the knife to sacrifice his son when God said, wait, wait, there's a, um, there's a ram in the, caught up in the bushes over there, sacrifice the ram instead. So Abraham heard God speak and it seemed like a strange thing that he was asked to do, but he took the risk of trusting God and, and carried through and did it. And in the end, God, God rescued him. Isaac, God saved that situation. Abraham was counting on God raising the dead. Uh, he believed that, even though it never happened before. Abraham had that faith and he carried through in the action of right up to the point of, of almost sacrificing his own son. A big risk that Abraham took. It wasn't just an idea that he ticked on a box, a, a census that he filled in. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, yes, yes. He, actually, he, he went through with what God asked him to do. So James uses the example of Abraham. At the other end of the social spectrum is a lady named Rahab. Uh, She comes in the book of Joshua, so four or five books later in the Bible story. Uh, She's not really, at that point, one of the heroes of the Bible. She's not even part of the nation of Israel. She's one of their enemies. Uh, She's a resident of the Promised Land, and and the the Jewish nation, the Israelites, are going to invade that country. She's a resident of that country, so she's one of the enemy. She's also described as a prostitute. So kind of not really the poster child for good people, but she also believes what God says. Uh, God says he's going to destroy that city. She believes that. She rescues the spies. You can read the whole story in Joshua chapter 2. She puts her life on the line, trusting what God has said. So God has said, the city will fall. If you hide these guys, I'll save you. And she says, yep, I'll give it a go. At that point, she's putting her own life on the line. 
if it, if it hadn't happened the way God said it would, then she would have been a spy and what do you think would have happened to her? It would have been, she would have come to a pretty sticky end, I'd say. So she really risking her own life at that point, trusting in what God says. So these two examples are people who heard God's voice and he asked them to do some, some pretty out there stuff. Uh, Abraham risking the life of his son, Rahab risking her own life. And all they had to go on was his word and yet they carried through with it. They did what they were asked to do because they trusted that God would keep his word. It, it, effectively, it was a big bet, wasn't it? They really bet the farm on this, both of those examples. They risked what was most important to them, somehow believing that God would keep his promises against all logic, against all common sense. They just trusted that God would do what he said. So they had faith, yes, and then they carried through with it and put it into action. And these are examples of people who showed their faith by what they do. It says here that, that their faith was made complete or perfect or visible, or however you want to put it, by their actions. You can't see faith, you can't measure it, you don't get metres of faith, you can't weigh it, you don't get kilograms of faith. There's no SI unit for faith, but you can see it in the actions that people make and do. You can see it in the way they treat people, you can see how they invest their time and their energy. And so the question comes back to you in the end, how is your faith, how is my faith made visible? What makes it come to life? What brings it out? How do we prove that we have it? Since you can't see faith, what other evidence there is there that you have faith? What have you bet on God, so to speak? What do you stand to lose if he does not keep his word? In Abraham's case, it was the life of his son. In Rahab's case, it was her own life. If God didn't keep his word, they were lost. What do you stand to lose if God does not keep his word? Because the type of faith that is living and active and saving is the type that hears, trusts, risks and hopes that somehow God is going to catch you at the end of it. There is a type of faith here that is, well, dead, actually. The arid, sterile faith of correct answers but no action. That, of course, brings us back to the burning question that I asked at the beginning. Can a dead parrot squawk? Now, those of you who are extremely well-educated and cultured like me will recognise this as something from Monty Python. The, the parrot sketch, the dead parrot sketch. Does anybody remember the dead parrot sketch? Oh, come on! Come on, you're killing me! I was going to show the whole thing, but it's like seven minutes of the most marvellous ridiculousness you can imagine. The, oh, the state of Australian education. Look, I'll tell you the dead parrot sketch, okay? There's two guys, one's the pet shop owner, the other guy's bought a parrot. And the parrot is clearly dead. The parrot is clearly dead. And so he come back to complain. And he says, you know, I bought this parrot half an hour ago and it's dead. And the guy says, no, 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 it's not dead, it's not dead. No, it's not dead. Oh, yes, it is dead. And no, it's, it's sleeping. And so he shouts at the parrot, shouts at, I won't do it now, but he shouts at the parrot. He gets the parrot out and he bangs it on the, on the desk in the shop. And the guy, he, the guy, the pet shop owner, just comes up with excuse after excuse. It's not dead, it's resting. Lovely bird, the Norwegian blue, beautiful plumage. 
No, no, it's not dead. It's stunned. You stunned it. It's not dead. It's pining for the fjords. It's, a, it's having a long a kip after an extremely long squawk. It, it just gets, uh, there's never an end to these excuses. They become more and more ridiculous until the final, the guy, the customer, just loses it and he does what we would call a rant today. He's not pining. He's passed on. He's demised. He's deceased. This parrot is no more. He has ceased to be. Some people are nodding. Yes, there's hope for us all. Some of you know what I'm talking about. His metabolic processes are history. The sketch goes on. He has shuffled off this mortal coil and gone to join the choir invisible. This is an ex-parrot. Yes, yes, you've got to go and Google it straight away as soon as you get home. You must see this. It is brilliant. And it ends with that line. This is an ex-parrot. Just like that. May it not be said of us that we have an ex-faith, that our faith has expired, that it has shuffled off this mortal coil, that it would take four million volts to make it vom, as it were. May it not be said of us that our faith is dead, because dead faith cannot save. Dead faith cannot save. Maybe it's time for us to have a bit of a think about, yeah, we've got the answers, but what do we do with them all? How do we put them into practice? Maybe it's time for us to push back on favouritism in all its various forms in the insidious practice. Maybe it's time for our faith to take a risk, to, to bet that God will keep his word, as it were, to trust him that he will follow through on his promises. Let's live our faith. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.